to say religious that doesn't start that way it has um, a reason because it reminds us that without a background of virtue and without the background of trying to give our very best the, um, that what we'd like to have will never eventually eventuate we like to have peace and happiness harmony and joy inside of ourselves all the time no matter what happens outside and naturally that is where the path can lead us but we have to have the foundation foundation of our own goodness so we have no remorse and no regrets and we also have the self-discipline of one's own good goodness gives us certain understanding that one is really making effort and with that one feels quite strong so the underlying reason to start with refuge and precept and the count of precept is that we remind ourselves that this gives us strength as far as the refuge is concerned that gives us protection without that protection what can we find in the world that could possibly protect us we all look for it every human being looks for protection with other people some people look for wealth to protect them some people look for insurance policies some people look for knowledge none of that can protect us nothing at all the only thing that can protect us is eventually our own inner understanding the real insight the knowledge and vision of things as they really are and when we understand that and can become that that absolute reality then there's no danger and no fear because then there'll be nobody there that can be in any danger there's nobody there to have any fear now the refuges give us an idea that we can have in mind because we take refuge in the Buddha which is not the historical person that historical person is no longer on this planet the Buddha means the enlightenment principle and since that enlightenment principle exists it also exists within us and to take refuge in that is the greatest protection there is because since we have it we may one day actually be able to manifest it and feel it and then we are forever protected and the Dhamma is the teaching the Dhamma that which will tell us but also which is that which we manifest once we have been able to practice it sufficiently and that is again our refuge and our protection and the Sangha in this case neither means everybody who sits down with crossed legs nor does it mean the people who wear these robes it just means people who have become enlightened and have propagated the enlightenment principle 
of which there have always been some and there still are some. So the having that connection made from our unenlightened state to that which is possible, we have a um, mind direction and we can only do that where our mind directs us to go. If we want to cook, our mind says we want to cook, we'll go in the kitchen. If our mind says enlightenment is the only protection, we'll get to the pillow, we'll get to the Dhamma. So taking refuge brings us to that and also it has another aspect. It has the aspect of giving us a feeling of having the possibility of the highest. Not always only the marketplace mentality which is prevalent everywhere. Marketplace mentality is that with which we have to occupy ourselves in daily life when we want to make a living or when we want to talk to bureaucracy but if we don't get out of that mentality we'll never find peace in our heart so taking refuge means also that we are determined to have a higher consciousness we bow down obviously not to a wooden statue the wooden statue is a symbol man and his symbols it's a symbol of the enlightenment principle and every Buddha statue looks exactly like the maker thinks the Buddha should have looked that's all and always according to the country where it's been made this one's from India and that's what Indian thinks the Buddha should have looked like there's no argument about that because nobody knows what he really looked like and if you go to Sri Lanka he looks quite different and if you go to Tibet he looks quite different and if you go to Thailand you go to Burma he looks quite different and one time I was in England I was a friend of the Western Buddhist order and they had a beautiful standing Buddha there who was obviously an Englishman so whatever one thinks that's what it looks like and obviously every artist will try to make it as beautiful as he thinks it should be. So we have that, but it is only a symbol. And we bow down three times to Buddha Dhamma Sangha. The Buddha, the enlightenment principle, Dhamma, the teaching which can take us there, and Sangha that has propagated the teaching for us. And in that bowing down, we have certain thoughts anybody's welcome to have whatever thoughts they like but this is a suggestion first of all it is a humility in our own heart that there is something much greater than we are and that we are all part and parcel of it that our separation idea that we all have is nothing but an illusion and particularly an optical illusion we all look like separate little heaps but we're not we are in reality one creation and in that one creation there is the enlightenment principle available so if we bow down we are not only showing our humility that we haven't actualized this unity with it yet but also our commitment that 
this is where we're going. Meditation is only for that purpose. Naturally, on the way, it will do many other things. It can give one peace, it can give one joy, it can uh, give one insights, but it has only one real purpose, and that's Nibbana. Enlightenment, that's what it's for. Of course, all the other benefits that come, I will talk about them and mention them, and some of them are quite mundane and very uh, desirable, but they are all just parts of a whole. So we have humility, we have also the commitment. And then, with those two, we also show that we have devotion. If we don't have devotion, our heart is not engaged. And if our heart is not engaged, our mind hasn't got a chance. And I think I'm going to say that again. If our heart is not engaged, our mind hasn't got a chance. I'd like you to remember that. Both have to be engaged. The mind understands, but the heart does all the work. The heart feels. And then we have, with our intelligent mind, the understood experience. The heart is the one that experiences, and the mind is the one that understands. So the devotion to <coughs> the beauty of the teaching, the devotion to the clarity of the teaching, the um, reverence for the great teacher, all of those, open our heart and when the heart is open that means we can love if we don't love we won't be able to understand it properly it's going to be intellect there's nothing wrong with intellect but it can never stand alone it's got to have the support system of the feeling and those people who engage both are the ones that are successful in this practice. The word successful is not well chosen, but I think you know what I'm saying. The, this practice changes a person, and heart and mind have to be changed. So that aspect of the bowing and that aspect of taking refuge in precept has a great benefit for us and is of very great importance because we are actually outwardly saying I want to give myself to that and if we give ourselves wholeheartedly we can expect wholehearted results and if we give ourselves half-heartedly obviously that's what we're going to get whatever anybody can do. It's up to each person. All I'm doing is I'm explaining the possibilities which are there and which are inherent in this particular manifestation of an two and a half thousand year old tradition which is very often only done in a very mechanical manner because in Buddhist countries and those of you who either live there or have traveled there know that everybody does this seven times a week and it doesn't become so meaningful, meaningful anymore. 
at least seven times whenever the occasion arises this is being done so for us we can make it meaningful when we bow down we also use a certain way of on the third bow to use the hands namely by doing this this and this which means I commit myself with mind speech and body to this practice all suggestions there's absolutely no um, coercion to do this there's fine and I like to explain that and those of you who've been with me before know it of course it's very simple in this tradition but all of the things which are there are symbolic now the Buddha statue I've already explained the candles are a symbol for the light of enlightenment the light in the mind a totally light mind opposed to heavy but also a totally light mind as opposed to dark there's complete light in the mind and that lights up that mind but it lights up everything that it can touch also so that's the symbolism of the candle and you know that there's hardly a religion if, if any that don't use candles and some of them use a lot and in this tradition also uh, there is uh, one um, occasion when one lights a thousand and one candles it looks very nice afterwards but it's a bit of work to do that (laughs) (laughs) then we have the flowers and they are of course they look nice but that's not what they're there for their symbolism is that these flowers very pretty today probably on the garbage heap tomorrow or the day after just like us very pretty today but not very long until we're on the garbage heap and it's only a matter of time it has, it has very little to do with age of course one expects old people to die first but it isn't always true so this is what we mustn't forget because if we remember that that we're just like the flowers very nice very nice to look at but very fleeting we will not latch on to things that have no importance in a spiritual way way. we will not hang on we will not cling because we're only here such a short time let's do it right while we're here and expect to depart any time we've all got a return ticket just a matter when we're getting it punched so. so that's the flower so that's part of an important symbolism and then there's the incense <coughs> many people think that incense is there to make the room smell nice well certainly it is it has that aspect to it but it has a symbolism that a totally virtuous person gives off a beautiful aroma like the incense does and it can fill the room and more as far as the strength of that person goes so it's um, in the case of a perfectly purified person one could say the vibration whereas the uh, in the case of incense of course we are looking at um, material uh, material manifestation of an aroma but these are the three symbols which are always on a shrine in this tradition and then one can decorate it any which way one likes more things 
that one likes to make it look better but this is all that's really required these three things and the Buddha statue of some form the Buddha statue in this case is actually made from sandalwood which is again a very beautiful smell when it's new it's fairly I've had it quite a long time and doesn't have that beautiful smell anymore but that too is um, has a symbolism not just that it smells nice but it's an old old tradition that not just from Buddhism but much much older than that that great masters and enlightened people and great masters when they die they are cremated on a sandalwood par and therefore quite often we find Buddha statues made out of sandalwood Buddha also was cremated on a sandalwood par and that is um, a showing of reverence because it's extremely expensive to buy sandalwood to make enough for a par so it's a great uh, show of reverence for that person now before we actually do it um, ah, well I'll say like this the way we're going to do it and those of you who've been with me before probably remember this quite well um, I'll light the candles and I'll light three incense sticks three, four Buddha Dhamma Sangha and then those of you who want to do they take the refuge and precept come up offer your flower to the Buddha you can at the same time think aha uh-huh, this is me this flower you know now very pretty today but just look at it tomorrow useless has to go in the garbage can tomorrow morning or even in an hour or so because we won't put it in water so that it, we can actually see the decay and then um, light an incense stick for your commitment to the virtue stick it in there and bow three times to Buddha Dhamma Sangha to the Buddha statue and sit down again and when everybody's done it who wants to do it then I'll chant it in Pali <coughs> which is a traditional way of doing it my voice doesn't sound very good it never does but today it's particularly bad <laughs> because I'm exhausted but I'll manage um, I'm just trying to um, forewarn you uh, I'll chant it in Pali and uh, then I'll say it in English and then repeat it after me in English and as we do it together we'll hold our hands in Anjali which is a traditional um, Asian way actually of greeting other people like we have the traditional way of shaking hands and uh, it's quite interesting actually I found out that shaking hands with your right hand was in initiated to show that you're not carrying a weapon and this means that you're coming from your heart so we have a bit of a um, lack of this heart connection in our traditions in our western traditions so we're going to do it like this hold it like this which means what I'm doing is coming from my heart and it's also a nice way of um, showing what's respect and reverence now before we do it does anybody have any question about this that I haven't addressed anything that I may not have said everybody know what the five precepts are Hmm? no no you know you know 
you don't know okay the five precepts are worded that one undertakes to refrain from killing living beings that one undertakes to refrain from taking what's not given one undertakes to refrain from sexual misconduct one undertakes to refrain from wrong speech which includes lying, harsh words, gossiping, slander, idle chatter and one undertakes to refrain from intoxicating drugs and drinks that's five percent and they are considered to be the basic uh, guideline for living a decent human life and they sound quite simple but when one takes them very seriously they're not all that simple there's quite a lot of um, um, little things that come up that seem to go against that so that one really has to watch oneself any questions about any of this Tasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Tasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Tasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Bodhang Saranangachami. I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dhamma. Hang hang saranangachami. I take refuge in the Sangha. I take refuge in the Sangha. For the second time, I take refuge in the Buddha. For the second time, I take refuge in the Buddha. Dutyampi Dhammang Saranangachami For the second time I take refuge in the Dhamma. For the second time I take refuge in the Dhamma. For the second time I take refuge in the Sangha. For the third time, I take refuge in the Buddha. For the third time, I take refuge in the Buddha. For the third time, I take refuge in the Dhamma. For the third time, I take refuge in the Dhamma. 
For the third time, I take refuge in the Sangha. For the third time, I take refuge in the Sangha. Savana gamanam sampunam Panati patta verabhani sika Padam samadhyami I undertake the training to refrain from killing living beings. I undertake the training to refrain from killing I undertake the training to refrain from taking what is not given. I undertake the training to refrain from taking what is not I undertake the training to refrain from sexual misconduct. I undertake the training to refrain from sexual I undertake the training to refrain from lying and harsh words. Sura Maryam Majapamadatana Veramani Sika Padam Samadhyami I undertake the training to refrain from intoxicating drinks and drugs. I undertake the training to refrain from Tisaranena sadhim pancha silang dhammang surakitang katva pamadena sampadeta. That means, may the taking of refuge and precepts be for your benefit and happiness. May you all be happy. Now I'm going to just say a few words about some general matters for this course, very few. We'll do a meditation together and finish up with a loving-kindness meditation. And I know that all of you have had meditation instructions, so we can do it just without even saying much about it. And as we go along, we'll be together here for two weeks. We have plenty of opportunity to get more information and instruction as far as meditation goes. We're going to keep noble silence, which means not to have discussions with each other. You can ask as many questions here in the hall as you like. And... Of course, you'll have personal discussion with me. And if there's anything of a worldly nature that you need, um, a blanket or a glass of glass or something for your room, 
you can ask Margaret to uh, help you with that anything that's necessary other than that it is a time for introspection for self-knowledge a time to get to know oneself a time to see all the things that come up in oneself without blaming oneself for it without getting upset about them just looking at them and recognizing them for what they are and using one's meditative ability of substituting the discursive thinking with attention on the meditation subject in the same way for everything else that arises one's ability to substitute whatever arises it just shows that it has come and it will go again so we can substitute with something which is more beneficial this time for introspection and self-knowledge means it is a journey inward our usual life is spent as a journey outward we journey from birth to death and we're using our senses to see what's around us seeing and hearing and tasting and touching and smelling and thinking out there and I think all of us are already old enough to know that it hasn't brought what it's supposed to do it's supposed to be to bring perfect satisfaction and happiness if we're clever enough to do it right well either we're all stupid which I don't think we are or we're doing something that isn't going to fulfill our expectations and that's what the Buddha said we're all doing something which cannot fulfill our expectations for one very simple reason that it won't last whatever it is it's a constant coming and going and this is what we need quiet <coughs> and time for ourselves for to acknowledge and see the arising and ceasing of all that exists not just some things particularly not the things we don't want anyway we're very happy when they arise and cease everything arises and ceases there's nothing that stays around you can start with the breath it arises and ceases and arises and ceases and if it doesn't do that anymore we're dead very simple it's got to arise and cease and because it continually does so we forget about it that we are subject to the utmost in impermanence the utter impermanence that our whole being depicts we cannot see it clearly because of continuity continuity overshadows impermanence now we have a chance here to see it truly and as we see it truly the mind can also become quiet from that if we accept it if we don't like it of course then the mind gets quite upset about it and wants to escape from that and it's going to find all sorts of escape routes but when it accepts it and says well that's the way it is very interesting mm -hmm. it's 
control what doesn't really matter what's happening then it becomes quiet and then it can actually go to the point of concentration where it becomes absorption two weeks should be long enough for most people who have practiced before it depends on the length of practice of course uh, to get to a point where the meditation becomes much better at least that much so noble silence that's one thing and the second thing is that this is an opportunity um, for me to have Anya here Anya who is sitting in the first row most of you know already who is learning to become a teacher I'm getting old and older and I'm beginning to feel it quite strongly very impermanent life I think it's great actually but I don't don't want the teaching that I have now diligently done for 16 years to just peter out so I'm trying to have students of mine who are young enough to be my children to take over and I have successfully done that with one person in Germany so far Uh, take over means that they slowly start slowly start to teach little bit and then as they have a support system as we help them to go along they eventually become experienced at it I also wasn't always experienced at this now after 16 years of teaching I can actually do it in my sleep it's not exaggerated so it takes time <coughs> it takes maturity but in the beginning one needs a support system so Anya is willing Anya has been a student of mine for a long time she was on Nuns Island with me in Sri Lanka for three months is right? three months? yes yes you had that feet I remember (laughs) and had other months long courses and uh, she hopes to make her home in Australia Australia is not her home it's from Holland so we are going to have to do something about that too but in any case this is because also luckily I think it's very nice we have such a small group so everybody can have a a bit of uh, sort of help her and and have compassion because if we have a huge group of 50 people which I had in Melbourne it's uh, not so nice to start out with that's a bit frightening you know when you sit there for the first time and have 50 people in front of you and some of you some of those 50 might be a bit uh, judgmental so it's a little frightening for somebody who has never done it so what I have in mind is that um, Anya will take over some of the sits um, where there's nothing much to do you can um, if you like to ask her questions that's fine it gives me a chance to have a little rest also and she'll do a, some of the guided meditation and I would like her and I'm going to say that right now to sit in on the interviews but only if it's alright with the person that has the interview so we can from case to case we'll see if anybody doesn't want it that's fine too but this is a very important learning aspect, the interviews. Um, it's 
something that of course our experience will also tell but there are certain things that it's very important to learn about that and because I don't spend very much time in Australia in the year at the most I spend three months in Australia and out of that three months I also like to spend a little time with my family uh, it is a, would be very nice if I can establish Anya here in Australia as a uh, teacher who follows my <coughs> way of teaching which of course she's doing because that's her uh, has been her practice and those of you who have been with me before know that I'm very um, um, keen and very um, interested in the fact that people learn the jhanas and that we discuss them the meditative absorptions and of course this is why I want to have that continued because it is still unfortunately a well-kept secret why one doesn't know really why it should be so you can find it in any Buddhist book but it's still a well-kept secret it's um please put the attention on the breath for just a moment And now let compassion arise in your heart for all and any of the difficulties that you have encountered in this life or are encountering now, recognizing how difficult it is to be a human being. Let compassion fill your heart to overflowing for yourself. Surround yourself with love and appreciation, appreciation of your own efforts. Feel filled with compassion and embraced with love. put your attention on the person nearest you here in this room and acknowledge the fact that he or she has the same difficulties as you yourself fill him or her from head to toe with compassion and surround him or her with your appreciation of his or her efforts and your love. 